Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, Revelation and chapter number 20. The book of Revelation and chapter number 20. We're beginning our brand new series dealing with the millennial kingdom. And we're taking some time in these early messages to go ahead and set down a foundation, to set down some definitions, to set some uh, terms so that we, we could be on the same page and have a good understanding of what we mean by these things. We believe that defining what we believe becomes a very important idea to share and communicate truth properly. We'll get started with the details of the millennial kingdom coming up soon, but we have to lay this foundation first so that way we have something what to build on, have a common vocabulary and a common understanding of what we believe and why. And so with that, please take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the book of Revelation and chapter 20. Revelation in chapter 20 in a passage that we are going to get very, very well familiar with as we're we're going to refer to it over and over and over for the next 40 messages. Not every message, but it is going to be referenced quite highly. Notice with me in the book of Revelation chapter 20. The book of Revelation chapter 20, and notice with me starting at verse 1. Revelation 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And if you have not already, which most of you by this time have, notice all the times that it says in this passage, a thousand years, a thousand years. And this is what is referenced to the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ. And with this, we are going to explain three views of the millennium. Three views of the millennium. 
If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, I'm asking that you would give us grace and mercy, give us understanding. Lord, I know that this is more of a classroom instruction. This is something that's important as we lay the groundwork. But yet, I'm asking that you would still use it to apply truth to our lives and to be able to understand that you mean what you say and you say what you mean and that we can trust you in your word. I'm asking, Lord, that you would give us great discernment and that you would help me to have clarity of thought, help me to be correct in the explanations that we give, and that you would get the honor and glory from the things that are done. Fill me with your spirit and that you give grace once again to us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We understand from the Bible that it makes reference to a period of time where he says he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. We call this the millennium. However, in society, in the theological realms, there seems to be three major ideas that are viewed of the millennial, meaning three different ways that people see the millennial reign. With this, we use the reference mark of where Jesus Christ enters into, that each of these views all deal with where Jesus Christ will enter into this idea. We have the idea of post-millennial, all-millennial, and pre-millennial. Each of those prefixes deals with the idea of how Jesus Christ enters into this equation of this thousand-year period. If you don't mind, we're going to start off, and again, this is going to be more of a classroom lecture. We'll get into the Bible at the end, but we want to try to explain our terms, so to do that, we have to have more of a lecture-type style. The first idea we want to explore is this idea of post-millennial. Post-millennial. The prefix post carries the idea of after. And the short definition of a post-millennial view is a post-millennial view is the idea that the Lord Jesus Christ will come on earth after the thousand years. The idea of a post-millennial view is the idea that the Lord Jesus Christ will come after the thousand year reign. Now, for those that believe this view, have through the idea that through the preaching of the gospel, the whole world will be Christianized and then brought into submission before the return of Christ. Now, this was a very popular view during about the 1800s. It was followed by a post-Reformation theology that followed the Old Testament point of view of the nature of kingdom. So in the 1800s was a high mark for biblical Christianity. During the 1800s, you would have preachers like Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers who was preaching in the London Metropolitan Tabernacle of London, England. He was doing a great work. And even today, a hundred and something years after his death, he is still the most sold author, uh, uh, pastor, author, Christian author, even to this day, he outsells them all. 
but he had such an influence, his writing, his Bible college, his students. At the same time, across the pond, you would have in Chicagoland area, a man by the name of D.L. Moody, who went around and trying to lead as many people to the Lord. And God saw this man with just an eighth grade education, take two continents and shake them for the Lord. At the same time, you had D.L. Moody's second man, who was Dr. R.A. Torrey, who also had based himself initially from the Chicagoland area with D.L. Moody. And he took three continents, shook them for the Lord for revival. But it was also under his influence that our current Bible college system was set up. He was the one who set up the first proper Bible college with curriculum and how to do it and was a great influence of trying to tie people to the Bible. At the same time, you had people like a George Mueller who set up a orphanage in England and literally prayed in millions and millions of dollars to help support those orphanages all on his knees. He didn't have a GoFundMe page. He didn't have a Facebook Give page. He got all the money and all the food just by prayer. You need to study this man if you want to see someone who had a walk with God. At the same time, you also had a man by the name of William Carey, who happened to be the father of modern missions, who went and opened up countries for the Lord and trying to give them the word of God who would say uh, he would say attempt great things for God and believe great things from God he opened up missions you had a Hudson Taylor who went to China and opened up the interior of China you had people like <coughs> Will, um, David Livingston who went to Africa for missions opening up missions. You had people like a Charles Finney who through his preaching and belief in the word of God opened up what we would call the second great awakening, a major revival through America. Through this all you had Queen Victoria who was a Christian herself who believed that the kingdom should be right because the people are good. And through all of this influence, what we would often call the Victorian age because of the influence of Queen Victoria, you had a group of people who were excited about the things of the Lord. Churches were being started. Missions were beginning to be founded. Christianity began to be spread across the world. It was a wonderful time. So with this mindset, they had the idea since we got missions going, since we have Christianity going, the gospels being spread, that they had in mind that we need to make the world a perfect place for the Lord Jesus Christ to come through. They had in mind that if they saw as many people come to the Lord as possible, if they could influence as many as possible, and once many people got saved, then it would change the fabric of society, that it would turn out to be such a wonderful place that Jesus would just say, hey, it seems like home, and just kind of step down and be along with them. Now, again, it was an exciting time where people were getting saved, churches were getting started. What a wonderful thing. And so this theology began to take root with people because people were getting saved. All of that came to a screeching halt with a very big event called World War I. And then it ran into another brick wall with something called World War II. And it was after that people realized things are not getting better. That the world is in fact getting worse and worse and worse. And this whole theology kind of crumbled 
in its tracks with the idea that we're not going to make the world a better place for Jesus Christ to come to. That this was a wrong idea. And so this, for the most part, as a theology, has kind of crumbled and fell apart. There are still some fragments that remain, but it's not as popular as it once was because it is very clear, as by looking at our news sites, Facebook, YouTube, and all this stuff, the world is not getting better. It is not, it is not, it is not. Now, there has been a spiritual successor to this. Now, post-millennial as a whole believe that if we saw as many people get saved and if we reached people with uh, soul winning and the gospel, that it would change the fabric of society automatically if people got saved. Today, we have a spiritual successor that is in its place without the gospel. This is often called... uh, a philosophy of called social gospel. And it promotes the idea of a social mechanic that we need to make the world a better place. So we have to find ourselves social causes and we need to get behind them and help make the world to be a better place with the idea that (laughs) we should try to get all of these people equal, that we need to go support these things in Africa. We need to go save the children here. We need to promote this here. We need to put equality here. And so this has been now promoted by many liberal type churches that has begun to spread this idea that we are to make the world we currently live in a better place. The problem is, is that they're doing it with the absence of the gospel, meaning there's no gospel into it. So all we're doing is making the world a better place in which to go to hell. That's the spiritual successor, but both of those ideas are not a biblical foundation that we are not making the world a better place and once it becomes perfect that Jesus Christ will come back. But there are many people that hold to that philosophy if not to that theology. With that comes our second view of the millennial and that carries the idea of an awe millennial. All millennial. Now, the prefix post carried the idea of after. So we would understand that the people who believed in a post-millennial theology are people that believe that Jesus Christ would come after the thousand-year reign of Christ. A thousand year reign. That once we make the world perfect for a thousand years, then Jesus Christ will come back. We know that that's not true. But the word post means after. The word awe carries the idea of opposite of or not. For example, the word mused means to think upon these things. The word amused means not to think about those things. So if you go to amusement park, you're going to somewhere where you're not going to think. When people are amusing themselves, they're not thinking. We understand (coughs) that word A there in front of that prefix is going to mean the opposite of. There are many people today that hold a view of awe millennial. If you want to try to find a quick way to remember it, just say, ah, there ain't going to be a millennial. There are many people that hold that idea that these folks do not believe in a literal reign of Jesus Christ here on earth. They generally believe that the age between the first and second coming is the millennial. They believe that it's fulfilled with the saints (laughs) uh, either being in heaven or earth. 
And the way they get this is they end up highly spiritualizing the passages referring to the millennial kingdom. That they'll say that these passages are not literal, that what they are is they're spiritual. And they're getting across a spiritual meaning. They have the idea that Satan, remember in Revelation we just read here that Satan was bound. These people would believe that Satan was bound at the first coming of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, that he defeated Satan and Satan is now handicapped. He's now bound. He's now limited in what he can do in today's world. And that they believe that he is bound. And then when Jesus Christ comes back, that he's going to go ahead and start proper heaven future uh, eternity future, that idea of heaven. The basic principle is, is that they believe that we're living in a time called the millennial kingdom and it will be concluded when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, as I stated, this view comes because they interpret scripture, not literally, but they interpret spiritually or allegorically, meaning that it tells pictures. For example, There are many people today that believe that there's a secret Bible code within the Bible. That would carry the idea of allegorize or spiritualize. They believe that you have to read between the lines, that it's not a true thing. For example, they would teach that Genesis is not history. They would teach that it is a spiritual idea that God is getting things spiritually across. They would say Adam and Eve would not be the first man and the first woman. They are a woman and a man that God decided to choose out of all of the... um, Out of all the cave people and from these cave people, he pulled Adam and Eve and they became the homo sapien type people. So it's kind of a spiritualized idea. They would see a lot of this uh, (laughs) spiritualized things within history or prophecy that it doesn't really mean this. It actually kind of means this. So what happens is that you get a lot of confusion because if you say, well, the Bible's not literal, it just means whatever you want it to say. Well, then a lot of people are going to make it say a lot of things it doesn't say. But this is their idea that they don't believe that Jesus Christ is literally going to come back and rule and reign. That it is us as the saints who are the kingdom that God Jesus Christ has put in charge and that we are ruling and that we are reigning at this time and that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and then start eternity future. Basically have no millennial altogether. We're in it. This is the best it's going to get until we get to heaven. Woohoo! Something to look forward to. Then there would be a third view and the view that I honestly hold to. And this is what we would call a pre-millennial view. The word pre means before. And this theology carries the idea that we believe that Jesus Christ will come back to this earth and then rule and reign for a literal thousand years. So Jesus Christ will come back before this kingdom is established. Now the people who believe this are people who believe the scripture is literal. They believe that we follow the Bible literally. Now, at this time, there are some people that will say, do we honestly believe the Bible is literal? We do. We believe that the Bible is literal even in what we would call 
figurative language. We know that there's pictorial language, but the picture language is still getting across a literal idea. Let me give an example. If I said someone was as happy as a lark, what do I literally mean? What is I, am I getting across? Am I calling them a lark? No, I am literally passing the idea that they are happy. We would take that literally. We know that we could use pictorial language we could use similes, we could use comparisons, but we're getting across a literal idea. And so we take the Bible literally, even in the pictorial language, which is getting across a literal idea. This is our idea. So if we take the Bible literally, we believe the Bible is literally true, then if we were to believe that, then we would have no choice but to come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is going to come back visibly and bodily to this earth, then he will rule and reign physically and literally for 1,000 years. By the way, this is the view of the church for hundreds of years. The millennial kingdom was predominantly taught until a man by the name of Augustine in about 400 AD uh, came and he reformed the doctrine of the millennial and he developed the system of all millennial and by the way, he's the father of Roman Catholic theology. So it was Augustine, all the way up to Augustine, that before that time, everyone believed a pre-millennial view. So much so that the disciples, they all believed Jesus Christ was coming back literally, and they believed he was coming back at any time. And they were looking for his coming. They talked about it. They, they, they dreamed about it. They encouraged others about it. Why did they do that if they were in a spiritual expectation? Well, I'm looking up to Jesus, but I thought, He's, he's not really coming. I thought that just a state of mind. No, they were looking and anticipating something literal to occur. Now, this is again because of how people view the Bible. Do we view the Bible literally or do we spiritualize it? Well, how does the Bible intend to be viewed? God has always intended that his Bible is looked at literally. You see, we have a God who is smart enough to know what he wants to say. For example, at the very beginning, when God was going to create the world, he would say, I want to create something. And I can't get the word for it, but I want it to be kind of bright and shiny, and I want it to kind of spread there. But I don't know the word for it. Let there be brightness, uh, do you think God had a stutter and stammer? Do you think he had to try to guess what was he trying? He said, let there be light. And there was light. You see, our God is smart enough to know what he means and to mean what he says. So in Revelation 20, when six times in seven verses, God says a thousand years, what is the literal idea that God means? 1,000 years. All right, we could figure that out with no help, that God meant it. Now, if he said it six times, I think he's placing emphasis about how long he means. 1,000 years. This is why we call it the millennial kingdom reign, because it equals 1,000 years, because that's what God said six times in this one passage. 1,000 years. So if we were to believe the Bible 
and to take it literally, how is it that we get a millennial kingdom view? Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to take you through several passages and show you that if we took those passages literally, that we would come with the idea that Jesus Christ would come back to this earth, literally, physically, bodily, and rule for 1,000 years. If you don't mind, let's just take a quick tour. I can't show you all of it because there's more passages dedicated to the millennial kingdom than any other subject in the Bible. But I could show you some and show you why we believe if we believe the Bible is to be taken literally, we have to come to a conclusion of a literal 1,000 year reign by a real Jesus Christ here on earth. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Revelation or Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, the Lord Jesus Christ has already robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. He lived with the people for 33 years and then he died on the cross, dying for your sins and for mine. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and on the third day he rose again. When he rose again, it proved two things. It proved that Jesus was God and that Jesus Christ, <coughs> that God was satisfied with the payment. Now let's pause. Do we believe that Jesus literally rose from the grave? Or was it a spiritual raising? We believe it was literal. All right. Then another amazing event happened that Jesus Christ, after he rose from the grave, walked among his disciples for 40 days. During those 40 days, he gave instructions to the disciples, including what we would call the Great Commission, giving them instructions that they were to take the gospel and spread it throughout the world by reaching people and then teaching others how to do the same thing. Then, notice what happens, if you don't mind, in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. Acts chapter 1 verse 9, now remember, Acts is a history book. It's not a spiritualized book. It is a history book. It is recording what literally happened as history. Verse number 9. And when he, Jesus, had spoken these things, while they beheld, that means the disciples are there looking at him, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, can you imagine this? Jesus Christ is talking with him and he raises up his hands and starts taking off in the air. Now, they're looking up in the air. Is that because Jesus rose up spiritually? He rose up literally. This is a history book. They're looking at Jesus going up in the air. Now, because they've never seen that before, they all had a reaction. Notice with me verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as they went up, you would do the same thing too. If you just saw some guy just start floating up in the air, you'd be looking to see if he's going to fall down. Is he coming back? I mean, what's going on? And they're staring up. You see them? They're all staring. All of them. You would too. To see someone just take off. So much that they're, they're there for a while. Kind of an uncomfortable while. Just God had to send two angels come by to get them to stop. Verse 10 again. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said to them, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus, which is taken up to you in heaven, so shall come in like manner as you've seen him go to heaven. Now, this is pretty amazing. They had to have two angels kick him and say, why are you looking up? Now, they're looking up because Jesus rose spiritually, right? He rose literally. That's why they're looking up. I mean, they're not looking up why Jesus is there saying, shh, and he goes, sneaks away. They watched him go up. It was a literal idea. These angels kick him and say, hey guys, what are you doing looking up? What you looking at? You know, you, didn't he give you some instructions to do called the Great Commission? Get to work. I mean, he's coming back, by the way. By the way, this same Jesus, which is taken to you, shall come in like manner. What's the manner that Jesus Christ <laughs> was there? Did he raise up literally? Then he's coming back literally. Did he go up physically? Well, he's coming back physically. The same way he went up is the same way he's coming back. By the way, the very same Jesus is the one coming back. Not an alternate Jesus, not a doppelganger, not a clone. That same Jesus is coming back. Coming back literally and coming back physically. Now, if we take this passage as history and literal, we already start to come to the conclusion that literal Jesus is coming back. Not a spiritual Jesus, not an imagination or a thought process. Literal Jesus is coming back. So Jesus Christ is coming back visibly. He's coming back physically. He's coming back literally. In fact, notice where they're at. Verse 12, and they returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So right now they're in the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ rose up. By the way, this same Jesus is coming back at the very same spot. May I show you this? Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Zechariah. Now, if you're in the book of Acts, you turn the other direction, John, Luke, Mark, Matthew. Then you'll start getting to the... Um, Old Testament, you come to the book of Malachi, then you'll come to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14. So Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven physically, literally, <coughs> and bodily, and he's coming back physically, literally, and bodily. Notice with me Zechariah 14 in verse 4. We also see he's coming back at the same spot. Zechariah 14, verse 4. And his feet, this is Jesus, shall stand that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof to the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great valley, and half the mountain shall remove towards the north, and half the mountain shall be to the south. Now, we live in the comic book age, so you're going to have to forgive me, okay? So when Jesus Christ comes back, he's coming back physically, literally, and he's coming back and he's coming back to the same spot. And when Jesus Christ comes back to the same spot, he lands and the whole mountain tears in two. The whole valley of Jerusalem is pushed up. The whole real estate changes. Well, after all, if God comes back, I mean, it's going to make an impression, right? I mean, drop down from heaven, boom, hits it, whole everything changes. The real estate changes, and we know the spot where he's coming back at. It tells him the same spot he went up is the same spot he's coming back. When he hits it, it's going to 
<laughs> hit the Mount Olive, squish it down, put it in two. Jerusalem's going to be raised up and it's going to be higher than everything else now. The whole real estate's going to be changed just because Jesus Christ comes back. Now, is that spiritual? Or are things literally going to change? Is he literally going to come back and all of the real estate changes? This is a literal idea. Not the idea, well, when Jesus came back to town, the whole town was revolutionized. No, this is going to be a literal real estate change. If we take the Bible literally, which we do, we have to understand that Jesus is literally going to be here and there's going to be some changes. Notice if you don't mind, as we follow a little bit more just logic, by the way, each of these are going to be prompting its own message a little bit later. We're just giving you the preview now, just starting with a principle, we believe the Bible literally. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We believe the Bible is literal. So we must take the literal sense as far as we can go. Even in some hard things, we believe Jesus Christ is literally going to come back at the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus literally comes, it is literally going to change the <coughs> real estate. <coughs> People are like, you're overusing literally. I understand. But we take this literally. This is what's going to happen. Notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 rather. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice with me in starting at verse 13. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning with them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Guess what? The saints are coming with him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He's not coming by himself. He's got saints going with him. This is also repeated in the book of Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus Christ comes back with his army and we're with him. It, we're literally coming back to this earth and we're going to be reunited with our loved ones. This isn't a spiritual idea that one day spiritually be, you'll be with your loved ones, but not literally, just kind of in thought. That's not a lot of comfort, is it? That, you know, I, I'm with my loved ones in thought. You ever hear about people that say, well, I'm with you in spirit? Yeah, but we'd rather have you here physically. Yeah. We'd rather you be literally here, not in just, you know, thoughts. Isn't there a difference? Well, Jesus Christ is bringing those people here literally. If we believe the Bible. Re Revelation chapter 1. Someone says, well, is it that, isn't it hard to believe that this is literal? Well, it's super easy, barely an inconvenience. You could just believe the Bible is true. Notice with me Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Revelation 1 7. Behold, he cometh with the clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him and the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. Now when it says that every eye shall see him, is this the spiritual eye that 
we'll just all kind of just have an image of Jesus in our mind. He's coming back literally. Everyone will see them with their eyeballs. The, yeah, you, it's not a mirage. It is a literal idea that every idea will, every eye will see him. Let's see some more. Matthew chapter 25. <laughs> Matthew 25. Again, we're just going to take a lot of passages in the next uh, 30-something messages. We're just laying a foundation now. The foundation that we're laying tonight is that we believe the Bible is literal. And when we discuss the rest of the millennial kingdom, we start with this premise that the Bible is true and the Bible is literal. And applying those principles, we're going to see what the Bible has to say concerning the millennial kingdom. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Notice with me in verse 31. Matthew 25 verse 31. And when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. Now, when Jesus Christ comes back, he is coming back literally to rule and to reign. That is the idea that we're getting across. Notice with me verse 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided the sheep from the goats. And this is its own parable of the sheep and the goats, but this is getting across a literal idea that Jesus Christ is going to divide the people. You're my people, you're not my people. That's pretty simple. He calls them sheets and goats. You're my people. You're not my people. And he is going to judge the nations. Is he going to judge the nations spiritually? Or is he going to judge them literally? He is going to judge them literally. This has its own message coming up. So what's the conclusion that we get from this? Matthew 25 and verse 13. Matthew 25 verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know not, neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. Jesus Christ is literally coming back. The thing is, is that we don't know when. We know where he's coming back in the Mount of Olives, but we don't know when. The Bible says that we, because of this, need to watch. Jesus Christ is going to come back literally. When he comes back literally, there are going to be lots of things that are said are going to happen and they will happen. We need to be watching, therefore. What does this mean? It means the idea that if we believe Jesus Christ could come back at any time, that we should live our life believing that's true. For example, we spoke about this this morning in Sunday school. That when the millennial kingdom happens, we are going to have conversations. Like, where was you at when Jesus Christ came back? Oh man, I was in church singing a song and Jesus came back and woo, we were raptured out of there. Woo, it was amazing. Where were you at? And this is what I want. I was with the very last person. I just finished showing them from the scripture and they bowed their head to accept Christ and we were out of there. That was great. But there are going to be some people who when we talk to, they're going to like, where were you at when Jesus Christ came back? And they're going to look down and say, I don't want to talk about it. Why? Because they were doing something they weren't supposed to. How embarrassing would it be to have your testimony the next thousand years? So where were you at when Jesus Christ came back? 
I was watching something I wasn't supposed to. I was somewhere where I wasn't supposed to be. I was engaged in activity what I wasn't supposed to be doing. What a horrible thing. The Bible says that we're supposed to be watching and waiting because we don't know when he's coming. Some people try to say that Jesus Christ is coming soon. They've been saying that for 2,000 years. The Bible doesn't ever say Jesus Christ is coming back soon, but it does say that he is coming back suddenly. What that means is without warning. He's coming back suddenly. It means you don't know when it's going to happen. There's no more signs, no more wonders. Nothing else has to be lined up. He could come back at any time. Are you ready? Are you as right with God as you possibly can be? Are you ready to stand before the judgment seat? We're going to talk all about this in the next several series, talking about the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to have a whole lecture on what happens to the saints after the rapture. What's going to happen? We're going to speak more about the judgment seat. We're going to talk about the tribulation. We're going to spend a lot of time on the millennial kingdom on our rule. We're going to talk about our brand new bodies, what they're going to look like, what they're going to be like. We're going to talk about the different people in the millennial. We're going to talk about how the millennial kingdom ends. But all of these things we're getting from the Bible because we believe the Bible is true. And we're going to interpret all these things as if the Bible is literal because that is our belief. We believe in the literal verbal plenary inspiration of God, meaning the Bible is literally true. And God gave us each and every word because he knew what he wanted to say. He didn't have to guess or study. He didn't, he didn't have all timers or some timers. He didn't have a problem where he said, you know, I, I know the word, but I just can't. You ever get to that place where I just, I, I, come on word. I think I'm getting older and older because that's happened to me more and more lately. Come on, come on. Where's that word? God doesn't have that problem. He's able to say what he means and mean what he says. Well, you say, why are you preaching this? What's the point? Is the point of this to try to persuade us on which one of the millennial kingdom we should believe? Not for this one. We have plenty of time for this. We have to set the foundation, first of all, that we believe the scriptures are literal. That's the foundation we have to build on. If you don't believe that the Bible is literal, then we're going to have a hard time having common ground to build off of. If you've never come to the conclusion for yourself, it'd be my privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that God's word, that the Bible is indeed God's word and what God intended us to have and that it is meant to be read literally. Once you have that foundation, everything else snaps into place. We don't have to guess or argue what God meant by this. We could believe that God said what he meant and meant what he said. But this is the foundation we have to be of. Now, how's a further application? Well, if you believe that the Bible is true literally, then you also have to believe what he says about other subjects other than prophecy. The Bible says quite a bit about how to be a father how to be a mother, the role of a husband, the role of a wife, the role of being a good citizen, the role of being a church member, the role of being a Christian. These are things that the Bible discusses and that we need to take those things literally as well. 
And of course we get great encouragement because God said things like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm so glad that God meant that verse. I'm so glad that when we get to heaven that God said, hey, you know when I said I would forgive you? Psych. That's an old 80s word. I'm glad that he didn't say, oh no, man, I was just joking. Or when I said I forgave you, that was just spiritual. I, I didn't really mean it literally. We can trust God and his word. And if we trust God and his word, our faith builds up. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the foundation we have to start with if we're going to build more upon the millennial kingdom is the Bible is true and the Bible is literal. And we can believe what God said. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.